Welcome to a special edition of the live roundtable of, I almost said it, but I didn't, the Earth to Humans podcast. Uh, joined here with a few of our co-producers and our leadership circle, we've got Matthew Podolsky, Hannah Mulvaney, and Serena Simons right now. We might have a couple other people join us as the night goes on, but thank you for listening to this and thank you for spending some of this time with us as we just all kind of try to digest whatever the hell is happening. So uh, let's jump into it a little bit. Um, hey, ho hey, how's your mama doing? <laughs> is, that, is that not good? What is that? That's how you start the conversation. That's, that's how we start the conversation. Gregory. Um, uh, I, I meant that completely platonic. Um, <laughs> I can't speak for the rest of, of the crew here tonight, but I will say that this has been just eating at me for, for weeks. Um, I've been having cold sweats nightly and i don't know what that's about uh, it could be something else i read online it could be menopause but that doesn't make any sense um i think it's just stress i think i'm, I'm legitimately freaking out about this yeah stress is oh yeah i i was actually feeling like i was getting sick for a minute there because i was so i've been so stressed out but i did see a funny meme because i love memes um and it was if you are a fan of Lord of the Rings, it was basically like last night gave me the night before the Helm's Deep siege vibe in Lord of the Rings. Anyway, it's, so specific. <laughs> it's a big day. It's a big day. Uh, I take your word for it that that is a big deal. Uh, but yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there's like a little bit of a um, night before uh, a, a very strange Christmas feeling for a lot of people. Yeah, someone said like whatever that feeling is that before the night before Christmas, whatever the opposite of that is, that's what we're feeling right now. Dread. Uh, so yeah. yeah, so breaking the ice on that, I'll just say that I'm 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 drinking a nice beer. Uh, I'm ready to get into it. Got my reserve right here already. Um, if it if if I was a lesser man, I would have started at 10 a.m. So I'm glad I waited for this. So this is good. This is good. This is progress. Why don't we all say where we are and what time it is? Because Hannah is not in the US. No, I'm not. So I am actually in New Zealand, which is where Lord of the Rings was filmed. So I'm going to have to see uh, <laughs> if this scene was filmed anywhere near where I live and maybe try and soak up some of the atmosphere um, kind of understand what you guys are going through right now. <laughs> um, but obviously originally from England, um, but over in, over in New Zealand doing some environmental work. Um, and kind of feeling the um, feeling a bit of the anxiety as well, because obviously, um, yeah, being um, it being a, a massive election for the rest of the world, of course, it's it's all anyone's kind of been speaking about, which makes a bit of a welcome change from COVID, I have to say. Um, but neither one is a particularly um, favorite topic of conversation for me <laughs> to be totally honest but um yeah it's definitely being being felt in in pretty large volumes in this part of the world as well um and I'm sure the the impacts are going to be yeah the impacts are going to be felt wherever um anywhere is on the anyone is on the planet right now so how what what has the um atmosphere been like in New Zealand today or with with family and friends back in England um, I mean, I guess 
especially within um, my circle of friends and family and colleagues that work in the environmental sector, there is obviously this feeling of dread, as you've just kind of mentioned, because I think um, something that you guys might be feeling as well is that we all work so very hard to try and do our bit to, to help the environment and to um, do everything that's within our expertise to um, encourage other people to want to help and all of that kind of stuff as well. And um, having a leadership that is supportive of our work, like we kind of have here in New Zealand, um, is a really powerful thing. Like at the end of the day, you can do as much work as you can as an individual with charities and other organisations and together with like-minded people, but without the support of a government and um, kind of legislation, it does make your job and your life a lot harder. So there has been this feeling of, are we going to kind of wake up tomorrow and our job's going to be easier? <laughs> um, or is it going to be a million times harder? Um, and I've heard a lot of uh, what's the point and all of this kind of stuff. And as an eternal optimist, I do try my best to always kind of encourage people to believe that we are we are making a difference and that there's there's um, still going to be things that we can do and and um, all that kind of stuff. So I guess yeah, there's there's that there is that feeling for sure, um, and also um, a lot of um it's just yeah the anticipation's been been pretty been real as I'm sure you guys have um very much felt as well so um and it's yeah like we we've kind of had we had a recent election in in New Zealand where the outcome um for the environment would have been similar to how you guys um yeah it's it's a similar similar kind of um outlook on the environment with the different political parties um, and it's the same in the UK as well. Like there is always going to be um, people that have a certain environmental policies um, that you as an environmental scientist will want to support. So you obviously want to go, you want to see those get put into um, put into law and, and into action. So yeah, you always hold out hope that it's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's going to be an interesting perspective for us to come through kind of throughout the night, really. Um, how we do politics in the United States is just so vastly different than how it's done in almost every single other developed country. So let's take that as a note, a big takeaway from tonight. It doesn't have to be this way. Um, Matt, why don't you introduce yourself there? Tell us uh, how you're feeling and how your day's been and where you at. Yeah, I'm here in Boise, Idaho, feeling nervous, I guess. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't even know. I don't know how to put the way that I'm feeling into words, I guess. Um, like hopeful, but also like skeptical of all of the sort of positive polling that has come out. Um, yeah, now that like results are starting to come in, I'm like here staring at the I'm looking at the New York Times, uh, like interactive results as they come in here, which is just making me more nervous. <laughs> um, 
Don't worry, I'm sure the feeling gets better as the night goes on, right? Oh, gosh, I <laughs> hope it's so. Not, it's, yeah. it's not, you're just going to just get used to it. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, uh, what, what I'd say is, you know, here in Idaho, um, like, because of the way that our system works in the U.S., like, I feel like my vote in the presidential election is meaningless. It's pretty much guaranteed that Trump is going to win Idaho's electoral college votes. Um, I mean, there's, but like, but so I don't know, like where I am, you know, as far as like who I voted for, uh, which feels like a long time ago, it was weeks ago that I um, cast my vote. Like the races that I'm, you know, paying close attention to are like the, these, these like hyper local races going on, like in, in the city where I live and even the statewide races in Idaho are like pretty much guaranteed to all go Republican. I think it's been, I think it's been 30 years since any, uh, it's been 30 years since any Democrat won a statewide election in the state of Idaho. Um, so I've been following and like, uh, you know, I mean, we did a, a, an interview on the earth to humans podcast with, um, uh, Paula Jordan, who's the democratic, uh, Senate candidate, uh, here in Idaho. And I've been following her campaign really closely and it's, uh, amazing historic campaign. If she's, she's the first major party, uh, candidate, uh, for a U.S. Senate election, who's a female native American. Um, and if she were elected, she'd be the first female Native American to serve in the U.S. Senate. But it's just, I think, really unfortunate that, like, her chances of winning are are so low. And especially considering that she's, you know, running against this super old curmudgeon Republican dude who, like, the only time he made news this past year was because he was, like, the first Republican, he was the first senator to fall asleep during the impeachment hearings. Um, that's, like, his new claim to fame. But, you know, uh, I'm not holding out hope that he will get evicted from that position. So. What a great title to have, though, right? The guy who first fell asleep during that? That's... <laughs> He can take that with him. You know what I mean? Like he earned that. So that's good for him. Good on him. Yeah. Uh, Serena, yeah. what about you? Hi. Um, I'm in Lake Tahoe, Northern California, um, right at the border of Nevada. So I kind of straddle two different states constantly, um, you know, going to the grocery store and running errands and things like that. So you know, I'll, I'll be on the California side and it's very, you know, Biden Harris. Um, that's the majority of the signs you see. And then the second you cross over to Nevada, it's a different story. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have been feeling really stressed out. Um, and like, yeah, like Matt said, I mean, I, I don't really know how to articulate this feeling. Um, it just, the, the stakes are so high. And I think because we're living in this moment, we're living through this moment right now, you know, with the pandemic and this pretty historic election, I don't think as like living through it that we're grasping the gravity of what this actually means 
um, you know, for our democracy, but also for the planet. Um, four more years of Trump on the planet, it, it it's really scary to me. Um, but like Hannah was saying, you know, this is, we, we have to keep pushing past today, you know, and however long it takes for us to get results. Um, it, it doesn't end today, but it begins today. Um, and we're going to keep fighting and just trying to hold on to that positivity is super important right now. Cause I mean, it's a, it's a slippery slope, right. Um, to get down and, and despair and, um, so we have to hold on to something. So I think that's why we're all here tonight. The battleground state of California. <laughs> Said no one. <laughs> Said no one ever. Uh, well, I guess I better top this off and then we can kind of dive into some of the things that we wanted to discuss. But um, I'm here in Colorado. Um, I'm in Larimer County. So this is a little bit more progressive or I guess a little bit more liberal. I wouldn't call it progressive, but liberal um, by Colorado standards. Um, and just a few miles away from one of the largest, if not the largest county in Colorado, Weld, which is a very much so conservative county. Um, that and a handful of other counties in northeastern Colorado uh, made their international claim to fame a few years ago by promising to be the 51st state in the union. Um, and that's just not going to happen. Sorry. Also, Colorado would be a very weird shape if it all of a sudden just had a chunk bitten out of the, the, the top right there. Um, it's a very different story from, from Larimer to Weld County. And I think part of the thing that's on my mind tonight is, um, you know, kind of getting to the root of some of why that is. Uh, Weld County in particular boasts anywhere from 10 to 15% at any given time of, of the jobs, of the employment that happens in that county on oil and gas. Um, the livelihoods of people and the bread they put on the table is very much so wrapped up in keeping that industry alive, no matter how toxic it is. And so that very much so the conversation of, as the county I grew up in, but it's very much so a conversation of um, what's, what that means for somebody's family and what that means for their, their life, uh, their livelihood. So that's, um, that is a question that Democrats in general, I feel like have not really had a fundamental answer to, um, in, in, in a way that's comprehensive enough, comprehensive enough to envelop that group of people. So, um, even when I say that, um, just on the grounds, for example, of, of really hoping that our current president loses this election, uh, which I very much hope so, um, it does not come without a very deep, deep-seated desire to see real action pl- replace that. Um, like, if I, if I could just speak to the people of Weld County, it would be like, this, this it doesn't have to be this way. You can still have a productive future. You can still have a great career and, and continue to do that for your families. It means having a job transition program. It means replacing that with, um, with green jobs and, and, and making sure that nobody goes without unemployment in, in that county. If you had already been involved in an oil and gas industry, um, being so central to the economy of, of that, that uh, county. Obviously, that's not the only work that's done out there, but um, that is 
to me, like the path forward. And I want to see more of that. Um, I think the ironic part, just stepping away from my personal uh, circle here, my personal enclave that I share with my my fellow Larimer County residents is um, to remind people that we are a conservation podcast, that we are a conservation group, um, that our work is about trying to find out what's best for planet Earth, not for humans, in spite of humans. And it's fascinating to me that so much of this conversation has become politicized and, and God damn it, Republicans used to be the party of, of environmentalism, of, of conservation, and, and could, could be that again. And um, I, I want that. I want to see that again, um, as well as a whole whole laundry list of other things I want to see. Multi-parties, uh, different uh, voting systems, um, different kinds of representation systems. And maybe we get into that tonight, maybe we don't. But either way, um, that is where my head's at tonight. So, Greg, where, like, what are, what are you looking at, right? I mean, um, as... You know, we wait for results to come in and some results have already come in. I mean, folks are, you know, uh, news agencies are calling states for one candidate or the other already. Um, doesn't look like any of the big swing states have like been called, but there's a lot of projections out there. I mean, like what, um, where should uh, folks be looking? It sure seems to me like Florida is going to be the big one tonight um, and in Pennsylvania. Um, I'm really curious to see what happens there. I mean, from the things that I've, and I don't, I don't claim to be an expert on any of these things and we're obviously not like groundbreaking news right here. Um, but uh, it seems to me from, from the things that I've read and the things that I've looked at, like if Trump doesn't carry Florida, that's, that's a, that's a game over. Well, right. So I'm just, I'm like on the New York Times presidential live election results page right now. It's saying that Florida has 89%, 89% of estimated votes reported. And it's saying that the chance of Trump winning the state is greater than 95%. Yeah, see, that's, yeah, it, God, fucking election night. So crazy how fast can stuff come in. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I'm just, you know, I don't know, like I, like you, I've been, you know, kind of following some of the reporting on this and like a lot of people, I guess Florida is one of those states that could get called uh, this evening. I mean, it still looks really close, but like the New York Times is saying there's a greater than 95% chance Trump will win Florida. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks like a margin of 1.6. But yeah, that's for sure something to think about. Um, um, so obviously there's there's a lot of um, conversation about Florida and Pennsylvania and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I kind of have a bit of a vague <laughs> um, reason why, but can, can you kind of explain um, to us in the Southern Hemisphere <laughs> um, why, why that is? Um, why that is such an important um, feature of this kind of election. I mean, I, I could do a real half-assed job of doing that for sure. There's definitely better 
sources for that kind of material. But I mean, it's just a really important swing state. It's got a lot of a good chunk of electoral votes. And um, mm-hmm. I think based on that and a number of other, especially around the Rust Belt, they, the, the polling shows that those those places are really going to be electoral votes that especially Trump right now being what eight to 10 points behind coming into this, he's going to have to pick up. But like this, I mean, Hannah's sort of, I mean, you, you, I don't know. I mean, Hannah, are you talking about like the electoral college system in general? I mean, I'm curious, like, cause here in the U S it's like, we, it's, you know, the, the popular vote does not determine who the president is right. obviously. Otherwise we wouldn't have president Trump. Um, <laughs> Like, I, I, I'm curious, like, how much, like, outside of the U.S., is there, like, familiarity with this, like, weird-ass system that we have in the U.S. for electing a president? I really don't think there's much um, understanding, to be totally honest with you. I was having a, a conversation yesterday um, with five or six um, people who I who I know in New Zealand, and we were kind of discussing what the... Yeah, what this what the system was, um, and yeah, it was it is very very difficult to grasp. Um, obviously, it's very multifaceted. It isn't uh, it isn't the popular vote, um, and the yeah the college electoral system is just yeah it it is just so complicated. Um, but I I think when when I I think the the very I mean I've been a little bit engaged with US politics for a while um, because there is such a huge impact on um, my my career job. Um, I, you have to kind of keep your eye on on this kind of stuff. And I think the, the last election and the election before um, were kind of the first time that I've been trying to um, learn more about it and get, kind of get my head around it a little bit more. I think I think one component of like talking about just the way that we do politics in the United States anyway, the way that we do elections is is just it's it's so vastly different than how we do mm-hmm. how it's done in other countries. And part of that is because we have, albeit pretty messed up at this point, uh, we do have a very old tradition of democracy, one of the oldest in the, in the world. And um, I think that comes with just a lot of trial and error of uh, finding out, you know, like setting up a system 250 years ago and then realizing, you know, what that doesn't actually function for us anymore. So the, um, you know, the, the, the electoral college and the way that, you know, different, um, you know, I, I guess you'd say their, their votes, but, you know, points are awarded to a candidate is completely foreign uh, to, to other, um, to other countries. But, just like I, I think I things that's kind of stuck around probably longer than it should have really. I think I disagree that it isn't working or that there's sort of a disparity between the way it's functioning now and the way that it was meant to function in its formation because um the there was a great episode that Daily just did uh I think it was last week and they talked about this basically how the electoral college is sort of the earliest um, form of voter suppression. So when the way that we're giving certain states that have a certain demographic of people um, weight and value in the way that we determine the outcome of the election. And so in the way that it was formed, um, you know, we're discounting women, we're discounting black people, we're discounting indigenous people, right. we're, you know, so it, we're, we're only 
really talking about white men with property in this moment of its formation. Um, and so I think the way that it's functioning today is still exactly the way that it was intended to, fu- to function, you know, with all of the voter suppression that's happening right now. Um, I, I mean, it's really no surprise to me. Um, that's, it's been a very aggressive tactic from the Republican Party to suppress as many votes um, from people that don't look like you um, or have your agenda um, because, you know, certain things won't affect you or will affect you depending on who you are. So that's, to me, Hannah, that's just sort of like the foundation of the way that I think about it. That's I'm not saying that's the only way, but I do think that the system that we currently have is functioning for a certain group of people mm-hmm. in the way that it was designed. I love that you said that. <laughs> it's it's true. Though. Like it's it, it yeah, it's working very well for a very limited number of people. I mean, and and, and I I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but what is it? Two out of the last five elections have been um, went to the the person who had fewer of, of the national popular vote because of all electoral college a system that was designed to keep people exactly like Donald Trump from assuming office. That's fast. I mean, I mean, kind of, right. I mean, it's like what, what Serena is saying is that it's like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there are folks out there that would, that would argue that like the 20, 2016 election was sort of like the electoral college system backfiring, right? Because like the whole, the original intention of creating this electoral college system was like the founders of the United States essentially being worried that like the voting populace, which at that point was only white men who owned property. So you already have this like tiny subset of the population of you're only thinking about the white men who own property. And even within that subset, the founders were concerned that those white men that owned property wouldn't be educated enough to make like a a good decision about Mm -hmm. who should lead the country. Right. (laughs) So you have this like subset of this subset of the population that's allowed to vote um, at the inception of the United States. And even then the founders were like, yeah, they like some of those people like might not have good ideas. So like, let's create this whole, this institution that like actually makes the final decision, you know? And I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think there's like, I think it, I don't know. I think it depends on your perspective as to whether you consider that to be like, you know, the election of Trump in 2016 to be sort of like that system breaking down or that system doing exactly what it was intended to do. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the policies that Trump supports, I think that there's a really strong argument to be made that that is exactly what the system was designed to do. Right. And there were these attempts to like abolish the electoral college, like what, back in the early 70s, I think. 70s. Yeah. Yeah. And like, though it was bipartisan and it was, you know, uh, this, you know, like a super majority of uh, Congress people in the 70s, like supported moving to a national popular vote for president. But that uh, legislation was stalled in the Senate by a very small group of ultra conservative Republican senators in the South who didn't want 
like that power that they had over elections to be lost. I mean, this system that we are living with, I mean, is uh, problematic on so many levels and like has all these like ties to our country's really deeply racist past. Mm-hmm. I will say on the on the, the the positive note of that is there was a proposition on Colorado's ballot today that I'm very excited to watch, which was joining the interstate national popular vote compact. So oh. if Colorado joined, I believe it's already at 192. If they joined, One, yeah. it then it would come to 190. Or, do I have that wrong? I think you're right, Greg. That's huge. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that's just. To, to to your point there, Hannah, with your original question, if if enough states were to join this particular compact, um, they would basically be signing on to have their electoral votes go to whoever won the national popular vote, despite whatever the electoral college says for their individual state, um, and that's binding. So coming up on two hundred, sh- well shy of the two seventy, those states are just going to get harder and harder and harder to bring on, but. It's on my ballot, so um, that's a that's a good sign. It means a step toward actual democracy. Oh, is that? Can I say that? Is that? <laughs> is that too much? Is it? I, I don't know. I have I have seen some projections saying that obviously, you know, that isn't going to affect this election, but it might affect it um, in twenty twenty four. So that might be something that we have to look forward to in the next few years. Um, hoping that other states get on board. It'd be amazing just to see it in our lifetimes, really. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Let me ask this. So just kind of from from, from what we do, right? So talking about the environment, the planet, conservation, new direction, obviously, um, and in terms of really trying to integrate the way that we talk about um, uh, BIPOC and and, uh, the way that we talk about classism or any other, you know, wealth inequality that, that really directs and changes how we look at the environment. Uh, what does this election mean to you uh, specifically for things like climate change and the impacts that it has on, on different groups? What do you want to see? What happens if, if, if we end up with, with a, a four more years of Trump or with a brand new Biden presidency? What does that mean for you? I think there's a more stark contrast on the climate change issue in this election than, than there was in 2016. Um, I mean, in part because it's like four years have gone past, four years of not just inaction, but like, you know, ramping up of sort of like fossil fuel infrastructure. And, uh, you know, the more time that passes without dramatic action, the more likely it is that we see large scale human suffering and ecological destruction, right? Um, but I also think like the the other thing that in, in, in my mind is like quite different is like, I, I feel like in, in 2016, there were a lot of very liberal folks, a lot of folks that like supported, you know, at least what some would consider sort of radical like extreme action on the climate change issue, um, you know, either didn't participate in the election or voted third party um, because they felt like both candidates had inadequate 
sort of uh, plans uh, to to address that issue. And 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 I also think there was just this like mainstream media attitude that like Hillary Clinton's that it was inevitable that Hillary Clinton was going to win. Um, so there wasn't as much like like this election. It's like we've just lived through four years of Trump. So it's I, I feel, there's this feeling of like whoever the other person is like we just got to get rid of this guy, you know. And I mean, yeah, like Trump was scary four years ago, but it's a lot scarier to think. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot scarier knowing like what that means. Um, but I also think that like, even though Biden's record is extremely problematic on a number of issues, um, he has, I think, been more open to like integrating the ideas from some of the other candidates that he was running against in the Democratic primary into his platform than Hillary Clinton was. So I think, and, and I mean, Biden's climate plan, I think is a really great example of that. You know, like he had stakeholders from the Bernie Sanders campaign um, and from other presidential campaigns of the, his primary opponents, like working together on this climate plan. And what he was eventually able to release was something that like climate change advocacy organizations could get behind and could use to like mobilize young voters, right? And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm getting tons of like messaging from like um, a, a lot of these, you know, uh, climate change focused uh, advocacy groups talking about how important it is that Biden has put forth like a really progressive uh, climate change plan. So, yeah, I mean, that's like something that I think definitely motivated me to like cast my vote for Joe Biden, even though I think he's a deeply problematic candidate on a number of issues. Yeah, I think I'm just looking forward to being able to actually critique an administration instead of just throw the whole administration out right? Like, mm -hmm. I'm so looking forward to just being able to have a, you know, almost a, a boring next four years, right? Where we're, where we've got things happening in the background that certain people care really deeply about. And, you know, we can, we can investigate and pick apart certain aspects of that and, and try to improve, you know what I mean? But, but that it is a functional, not insane, thing that we're dealing with right <laughs> yeah well like just talking about like taking back you know native lands sovereign native lands to do oil and gas drilling that's fucking insane like that should not be a conversation that we're having um no administration should ever be taking that stance ever i mean there's a thousand things we get behind um just the first one the first one that pops to my head um handle what about you so just from from a, a climate perspective or um, oil and gas or whatever it is, whatever direction you want to take that, like what are some of your hopes or concerns for the way tonight develops? I mean, um, obviously, so my area of expertise is more within the wildlife, um, kind of wildlife and, and wildlife biology um, section <clears throat> of, kind of environmentalism. And I guess 
Um, obviously, climate change has a massive part to play um, within the protection of species um, in the future. Something that um, something that concerns me is that I and and obviously we live in the world of social media where we are friends with people who exist within our bubble and they are um they have similar thinking um similar thoughts to us and similar beliefs and this kind of thing and um all i seem to see is ne a negativity towards the current administration um with regards to wildlife records um a lot there's a lot of concern with regards to the environment um to the endangered species act um lack of and and scaling back those protections for endangered species um within the US and also migratory species that call it home for a certain part of the year. So that's something that is that is very concerning. Obviously, as a wildlife biologist, you don't just care about the wildlife in the place that you live. It's a global, global care <laughs> um, for, for any animal, regardless of the country in which it's found. So that is a, a concern, um, absolutely. And it's something that I was kind of um, really interested in when I was just listening to your guys' response on this is um, reflecting on the fact that I seem to only hear negative um, negative things about the current administration with regards to wildlife. Um, it it gives me and my colleagues in various parts of the world where I work a negative opinion of the administration and whether there are um, environmentalists who are hearing different things and who exist within a different bubble and belief system, political belief system, and are not just getting all of this kind of bad press. Because um, I, I, that's the thing, like I, I've, I've searched for it. I've tried to break, but like burst out my bubble and I've tried to find some positive feedback on um wildlife protections with the current administration but I, I can't and I don't know if it's just because I'm looking in the wrong places um I don't know if it's just completely absent um but it would be kind of interesting to to find that out really um I don't have any Republican colleagues and I don't I, I don't really know who to ask apart from you guys so <laughs> I guess to answer your question with a question <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. There's there's a lot to unpack there. So I've been having like this series of conversations with a cousin of mine who is an avid Trump supporter. Mm -hmm. We've had like four or five like recorded conversations um, over, I mean, since this summer uh, where we're essentially just kind of going through these issues um, and like trying to sort of understand each other you know? And obviously like my ulterior motive is totally to like figure out, like, is it possible to sort of like sway someone to like make an argument that will convince them to maybe not change their vote, but at least like shift their perspective and, and understand like where folks are coming who don't agree with him. Right. And I mean, there's, I don't like when, when you talk about like, are there people that believe that Trump is like doing good things like, like for wildlife conservation specifically? Like, I mean, yeah, there are, but like 
there's not specifics, right? Because it's, it's talking points, you know? Like on it, when you're talking about like wildlife protection, like the Trump administration hasn't done anything. Like there's nothing concrete that they can point to, right? I mean, the talking point that I hear is Trump saying, he said this in the most recent debate, like a number of times, he's like, the air and the water is cleaner than it ever has been before in like the history of the freaking planet. You know what I mean? He speaks in these like broad generalizations and he has no, like, he doesn't care. He's not even thinking about like what he's saying is whether it's truthful or not, you know? Um, and I mean, I think like maybe he's thinking about the fact that like, you know, we're in a pandemic right now. And so like, because of the economic downturn, like maybe there's like, you know, reductions in certain categories of pollutants, right? But at the same time that he's saying this, right, he's cutting regulations across the board on virtually every industry that exists and making it easier for companies to just do whatever they want, like, and not to have to pay attention to any of the EPA regulations on emissions that previously existed. So, I mean, there's talking points, right? And there are people that will tell you that, yeah, Trump has done great things for wildlife protection. But if you press them on what those things are, I mean, it's, there, there's, there's no specifics to that, you know? I mean, I think when you delve into like other issues, there are like meaningful things that could be said, you know, maybe not necessarily about like what Trump and his administration has done, but just like about attitudes of like the different, you know, these two major political parties. Um, and so like all these conversations that I've been having with my cousin have been primarily focused on, on race. Um, and I'll make this point, you know, like, trying to sort of get him to understand a certain perspective, right? Um, and, you know, he is constantly pointing to uh, like these conservative, these black conservative like talk show and radio hosts, you know, <laughs> right? And, <laughs> and it's like infuriating, right? Because it's like, he has this idea that like, well, I heard this from a black person it's it's on the topic of race and a black person said it so like isn't it it's it must be true right um and like he's convinced he's convinced he told me this this morning we had a conversation today because i thought it'd be interesting to talk to him on election day and he he's convinced that trump is going to get 30% of the black vote today and i'm just like what planet are you living on Whoa. you know wow. like you're missing, you're missing serena's face on the live <laughs> Wow. Folks that are really avid Trump supporters are living in like a different reality, right? However, at the same time, like I'm looking at election results right now, right? Like we've been told based on polling that like Biden was winning in Florida and North Carolina and, you know, he is not projected to win either of those state Georgia you know, Biden, based on polling averages, was ahead in Georgia. Like, he's not projected to win any of those states currently. Um, 
So it's like these, you know, the, like these things add reinforcement to like these, <laughs> these attitudes, you know, um, and there are a lot of like really problematic things about the sort of like mainstream Democratic Party perspective or stance on a lot of these issues. Well, I will say um, I am just as confused by black Trump supporters as, well, you're, I, I'm confused by them. Let me just say <laughs> that. Uh, and black people are also like, most black people are confused. Um, they're what we would call in the sunken place. <laughs> if you've seen Get Out, um, you should watch that movie. <laughs> um, but I think, I mean, there was a lot that you brought up there, Matt, but there is racism that exists within minority communities. Um, and so it's not surprising to me that there are people on the fringes of that, um, you know, that kind of like model minority mentality to try and reach um, and strive for whiteness in many forms um, in order to achieve privilege is how I kind of look at that. But um, yeah, I mean, black people, black people didn't vote for Trump in 2016. Um, the majority of black people didn't vote for Trump in 2016. Um, and it's not just in the black community. I think, you know, I saw a commercial for Trump on YouTube that came up and it was um, in Spanish and it was geared towards Latino voters and I just couldn't help but think, you know, the the people that were in that whatever that stock video that they pulled to use that commercial, like, I wonder if they knew or didn't know that they were going to be used in a Trump commercial advertising towards Latinos to vote for Trump, you know. So I I thought about that today, um, you know, because in, in all of all of these different minority communities, people are putting in the work within their own communities um, and I, and I would think, and I, I, I think most minority communities, um, understand that Trump is not the candidate that's going to uplift them, um, and heal wounds and, um, build bridges. And, um, I, I think a majority of us know that. Um, so to your cousin's point, um, it's sort of like when you have that one black friend that says it's okay to use the N word. Right. And so that one person gives you permission. So just because there's a handful and it's a handful, it's a very small minority, um, of black conservatives that are pro Trump. I mean, he's cherry picking them as examples of why racism doesn't exist in the country. I think is very, very, um, problematic and, um, it, it, uh, it doesn't speak to the larger issue. It's basically just ignoring the larger issue um, and saying, here, look, I have a black friend. He said it's okay. So it's okay. And that's just so problematic. It gives him an excuse to say, like, I'm voting for Trump, but I'm not racist, you mm -hmm. know? And it, but it's doing that for all Republican voters, um, and I mean, you're right. It is, it's, it's, it's deeply problematic because it's like, it's obviously I agree with everything you said, Serena. <laughs> I mean, but I think like one of the problems we're dealing with here 
at this moment, as this election is going on, is like the avenues of polarization, right? Like the strategies that sort of like are being used to pull people apart, right? And I mean, that's one of them for sure. But we have to like fight against that. And like part of what I'm trying to do by like engaging him in conversation is to refute the idea that it's not possible to have a respectful, intelligent conversation with somebody who is voting for Trump. Mm-hmm. And um, what, I mean, have you come to the conclusion that that is possible? Uh, I mean, my sample size is one. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't think I can make, I don't think I can make a generalization there. More right. Data is needed. Yeah. And like, he's my cousin. Right. So like we're, we're friends and we can like call each other out and, you know, walk away at the end of the hour and not have hurt feelings, you know, which obviously would not be possible for everybody, for all Trump supporters or whatever, but there's something going on there, right? Like there's, I mean, it's like these problems that we're talking about are complex and multifaceted and there's a lot of nuance involved. It's so complicated that it's hard to like wrap my mind around like what's happening and like why it is that like this, the country has become so polarized. And so I feel like all I can do is like, like the, the only way I can sort of, um, convince myself that like we're not just heading for like an apocalyptic dystopia is by like reaching out to somebody who disagrees with me on all of these like fundamental ideas and just like try to get into his head you know I think it's a really important conversation um to have with people as an environmentalist or a kind of um someone who has a kind of anti-racist belief system is to actually reach out to people who completely do disagree with you to try and understand them to um understand yourself better as well and I think um like you I often have really difficult conversations with people who are um anti-environmentalism and I love having those conversations because I actually um find ways to kind of pick apart their argument but then also um it gives you it gives you kind of an insight into why people don't necessarily have have the same belief systems that you do um and enables you to kind of become better and um, have a greater understanding of of the the belief system that you have yourself for certain um, and just relating kind of back to your cousins, um, what your cousin said about um, black conservatives, um, something that's really problematic about social media being part of these um, elections and especially part of these movements, like you can really easily spread an incredible messaging through um, through social media and it's something that can really amplify a voice. But when you have people within a certain belief system who almost 
who find these like black conservatives, you'll then get them boosting, you'll get them sharing all of this content. And then everybody shares it, everyone likes it, everyone engages with it. And there'll be two or three people that seem to be the voice of a movement because they're seen everywhere. Um, when realistically they are just a, a they're a needle, they're a needle in a haystack at the end of the day. Like it's just that they have um social media as this massive PR behind them. Um, and they're becoming more and more famous and they're become, almost becoming um, the spokespeople for for um, for kind of Republicans to justify um, voting for Trump, essentially. Yeah, I think I think that's huge. I mean, we didn't really get into that yet, but social media is in in this modern era of elections is it's wild. Um, and it's been fascinating to watch different platforms respond to the moment. You know, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with the way Twitter has responded, um, with the way that they kind of flag certain articles that might hold, um, information that's not credible or factual, um, and putting like a button or like a, like an asterisk to it, just, Hey, heads up, this article is not, necessarily what it seems to be or you know providing the counter argument um alongside that and um limiting the way that misinformation is shared and spread um i mean that's a whole nother conversation but that's absolutely absolutely true i mean we um the 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 regulations are are way behind um with what's happening and um yeah i mean Exactly. We, we, we start sharing very niche information and it gets boosted and boosted. Um, and, and that's, ex that's the only thing that a lot of those arguments have to hold on to is, is that, um, so it's a very weak argument and, but it, but it's hard to convince somebody, um, off that cliff, um, when they've kind of dove headfirst into it. Um, and are being provided with information that supports their agenda and their beliefs. Our entire technological system and the way social media is built is to give you more of what you want. It's designed that way. There are AI computers that all they do is, oh, you like that? Well, you're going to love this. And it's really this, it is a lot of that echo chamber of just surrounding yourself with, with some of those things. I think one part of this conversation that that that's missing for me is is the, the flaws on on the side of of the Republican candidate, the incumbent, our president, to me are obvious. Um, I, I'm I'm much more concerned about where that stuff pops up in the Democratic Party or even in this candidate in particular, in ways that we can come to a place where we can absolve that from all of our institutions. Um, I mean, Joe Biden's no stranger to some very hairy comments over the years, um, you know, saying that he didn't want his kids to live in an urban jungle or supporting the 94 crime bill or just as recently as this campaign election saying, if you don't vote for me, then you ain't black. You can't say that, Joe. You're not allowed to do that. Oh, I forgot about that. I suppressed that fully. <laughs> Well, and I'm sure he got slapped around in the campaign office later that day. Like, don't, what are you doing, man? You know, but um, those, 
that kind of mentality and I think the way that identity politics has been used in a way to really weaponize people based on their skin color without offering them substantive uh, policy. But I also want to tie that back to the same way that the conservationists and the environmentalists are also given these kind of um, uh, token representative pieces of how things are going to be under a Biden presidency or how they were under an Obama presidency. You do not get a free pass because you are simply not the other party. Mm -hmm. You need to show up and you need to act and you need to prove it. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean. It's like I'm looking forward to critiquing the Biden-Harris administration. Ditto. I'm with you. (laughs) You're, I mean, you're right, Greg, like it's, it's, you talk about these really problematic aspects about Joe Biden as a candidate. And I'm just, I I feel like, I don't know, I I feel like, I feel like we're back at four years ago, you know, Um, talking about like the flaws of the Democratic candidate and why it is that we have to just sort of, you know, accept the lesser of two evils. Um, I think it's a little different though, because I think in 2016, yes, there were similar flaws with Hillary Clinton um, and there wasn't that energy behind her, but we didn't know who Donald Trump was in that moment. I mean, we, we were getting a sense with the way that he was saying, you know, Mexicans are rapists and just the comments that he made on the campaign trail. Right. But we, we went into 2016 and, and he won and, and we didn't know who he was yet. Like we didn't know all the things he was going to do. We didn't know how much he was going to divide the country. We didn't know how he was going to respond to this pandemic. We didn't know any of this. So now having gone through four years of that and we know all of these things that he's done, the way that he's incited hate, violence, vitriol, just so much division. Going into this election and, you know, realizing that, you know, if, if people swing in favor of reelecting Donald Trump, I feel like that is a completely different America than 2016. And we are accepting so much more and we have so much more to dread. And so like the stakes are so much higher just because we have a little bit more insight into the effects of what that decision means for us as a country, as individual people. Um, So, I mean, so this election feels very different to me personally from 2016. Like I, I, I know what you're saying, Matt, with the, there are so many similarities, right. In the way that we got to where we got, um, but just, I, I guess, like the the climate in my heart and the hearts of people that I have spoken to today that are um, going to be greatly affected by four more years of Trump, it's more fear. Um, it's more deep, deep, deep sadness that we're here again, that we've allowed... I mean, that so many people in this country either share his views or even more extreme views than he does. You know, it, it's hard to accept a country like that. It's, it's hard to, to, it's hard to feel pride, right, for this country, knowing that there are so many people out there in the woodwork 
that don't want change. <laughs> I agree with everything you're saying, but I also have been like trying to understand that other perspective, like where people are coming from, you know, because it's such a huge, like such a huge percentage of the population that, that feel that way, even if you're not just looking at the people that vote for Trump, but even if you're looking for the subset of people that vote for Trump, that like are really strong believers in like his, whatever it, I don't even, I don't even think he has real beliefs, but like his style of governing, I guess. I mean, I don't like, gosh, I don't know. I don't know if I like, do I feel pride for this country that we live in? Like, I don't, I don't know if I do anymore. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, and that's not just about Trump. Like it's, it's also about like, you know, me, uh, engaging with people from other perspectives and also like diving into research and like learning about certain aspects of our country's history that like we weren't taught in school. You know, it's like, I don't like it. it it's almost, I, I, I almost feel like my lack of pride for this country comes from the fact that I feel like I was lied to. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like I was fed and a, a, a lot of us, have been fed this like really rosy picture of America. Columbus sailed the ocean blue and forth. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, Columbus <laughs> is a part of that, like, uh, that story that we're told, right? I think really and, you know, when, when you see the flip side of that, it's like you, you feel not only like the, the, the outrage behind like the, the just horrific things that our government has done in the past. Yes. But like, I also feel just betrayal, right? Like betrayal because the things that I was taught, like that were, you know, incorporated into like this curriculum that like we choose as a country to like teach our kids certain things. It's like a lot of that is not, a lot of that is false information, you know? And so like, I, I have this, really strong sort of like anti-establishment mentality that when I talk to my cousin, he a hundred percent like is on the same page with. Right. And it's just that like, and, and, and a lot of the things that he believes, I could play you guys some clips of things he says and all of us would be like, yeah, right on. We totally agree with that. You know, it's like the beliefs there are, it's, it's, it's really surprising. Like when, and I don't like, I, I, I mean, obviously it's sample size of one, right. But like, I would guess that if you like engage in the conversations like this with folks who voted for Trump, there's way more things that we agree on than there are things that we disagree on. And some of the things that we agree on are like really surprising to me. Like you believe that thing, like you just said that thing and then you went and voted for Trump? Like, do you realize that what you just said is like, doesn't mesh with like the belief system of the person that is running our country right now? No, I think that's, I think that's a, a really good point, Matt. And maybe a strategy that we can adopt, you know, going forward, um, 
could be, you know, instead of just writing off conservative ideology as, you know, cuckoo banana nonsense, like we actually, and, and instead of making fun of all of those people, which I have definitely, you know, watched many a daily show or whatever late night segment where all they do is make fun of uh, conservatives at Trump rallies, you know, they'll interview them. Um, you know, some, some, some of those folks are, um, you know, I don't, I, and I don't know if that would mean that we'd be changing hearts and minds, but I do think that that is interesting that, you know, the more common ground that we can find, maybe that will bring us closer back to that reality or normalcy that we're used to. And then maybe then we can kind of attack the system. Um, you know, that is making all of this stuff the you know, so problematic, but I do think, yeah, finding common ground is going to be huge moving forward, having more empathy for people, um, with different beliefs than you. Um, but also on that note, you know, setting boundaries for what we are and are not okay with. You know, like I, I can't, I can't sit across from a racist and personally, I wouldn't be able to sit across from a racist person and have an intelligent conversation with them. For me, that is one of those things that, um, is kind of a deal breaker for me. Like I, I can't talk to, I can't talk that out of somebody and that's not my job to talk that out of somebody. Um, but, you know, like setting those boundaries of, of what we are, you know, comfortable with, what we're not comfortable with, um, you know, what we absolutely won't tolerate. Um, and then maybe we can get to a good place. I, I mean, part of the reason that I like wanted to start engaging in conversations like that, I mean, with people that I know who um, are Trump supporters is like, I, I mean, as like a white person, like, I feel like that is my job to talk the racism out of my cousin. Like, I feel like, 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 I, you know, and I don't know if that's possible. Like, but I also think like one of the interesting things is that there's, there's so many ways like this, this word is so polarizing. The word itself, racism is so polarizing. And like, I think a lot Trump himself and a lot of his supporters will claim that racism doesn't exist. And it's like, just by making that claim, I think you're racist because like, how do you not, like if, or, if, or you, if you're ignoring these like inequalities that exist in our country and you acknowledge that those inequalities exist, like what's the cause of them if it's not systemic racism, right? Um, you're insinuating that you, that this racist belief without saying it outwardly you know, but like when you dig into like a specific issue, right? Uh, like my cousin sells, his job is to sell uh, security equipment to like police departments, right? So he works in this weird industry that is interconnected with like police reform and police brutality and all of these issues that we're dealing with as a country right now. And he expressed very strong opinions in opposition to police departments being given access, like 
to some of the equipment that he's selling to them. You know what I mean? But like, he also has these like inside perspectives. Like he like has these personal relationships with folks who run police departments. Like, and he tells me just these insane stories about like folks who run police departments in rural areas that are like bragging to him about like the military style equipment that they can get their hands on, that they can get access to in their police department. And he's, you know, I mean, at least he's what he's outwardly expressing to me is just like, just being utterly baffled by like, how is it that you're allowed to spend taxpayer money on this equipment, you know? So we had this whole conversation about like defunding the police and like, I think he's on board with defunding the police. So like, there's really interesting sort of uh, like agreements that that we've come to. Like he's still gonna vote for Trump, but like he is willing to like concede these points and like concede that like maybe defunding the police is a good idea. There's certainly more nuance in a lot of those conversations than gets played out on a national level. And that's kind of a bit of the shame of how things have gone talking about this earlier with another colleague, like how things have gone, been driven so much and and by probably primarily media and globalization and just how the information age has just changed everything in the way we look at it. But um, the way that things, you know, what used to be really important to you was just like your local level and on your state level. And, and now it really is very, very tribal in a lot of ways that, um, you know, your red team or blue team and, and you don't have to really like engage with the material at all. And there's no, there's no, um, there's no necessity to necessity to being an independent thinker within your own party. Um, and so really valuing people when they come to those kinds of conclusions is, is good. And it's undervalued for sure. I think there well, seems to be um, a bit of a, a, a culture of burgeoning um, within UK politics where people are saying um, vote for policies and not for politics. So people are actually kind of trying to get through to people who are typically voting for a political, uh, a, 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 yeah, a specific political party and actually saying to them, your belief system actually aligns more based on the policies of the opposite party. Um, and I think there is a lot of, um, there seems to be a lot of people in the UK who will vote for one party one year and then vote for somebody the other year. And they the candidate actually really um, does, can determine whether um, someone will vote for that political party or vote for the one that actually completely doesn't align with their views. Um, and what's been kind of interesting to hear coming from the US is that that kind of happens less. Um, that ha- seems to happen less there. Like changing somebody's mind is really, really difficult. And even if it's somebody who um, is as polarizing as Trump, doesn't matter if he was vote if he if um, yeah, like he the leader doesn't matter necessarily to people. It is the fact that they their entire family has always voted a certain way, and they want to continue voting that way. And they're really, really difficult to kind of change their opinion on. Is that kind of something you guys would agree with? Hannah, if you don't vote for me, then you ain't black. 
Can I can I just start saying that? Is that like a thing we do now? I, I'm gonna stop. I'll never do that again. Uh, look, um, tonight's gonna be a weird night. It's gonna it's gonna go a lot of different ways. Um, I don't think anybody should really be holding their breath for this evening. There's definitely it's just gonna be a weird election, and um, I think the the smartest thing that anybody could be doing right now is giving it time. Mm-hmm. And not trying to place an exclamation point on this on November 3rd. It just doesn't make any sense. Or November 4th in Hannah's instance. Um, by the way, thank you for joining us very much all the way from New Zealand, where you are very sure not to be engaged with any of whatever civil war activities happen uh, in the next coming hours. So uh, just kidding. Of course, always a little bit of a dark side for me. Uh, <laughs> but more than anything, it is just an absolute pleasure to visit with all of you. Um, so much love for each one of you and um, just hoping for the best, whatever, whatever that looks like. I want all of you as well as anyone who tuned in to just kind of take care of yourself over the next few days, weeks. Um, Tune out if you can. I mean, just Matt, just watching you stare at those, Holes and your your fate. I mean that that my heart, you know. Yeah, Matt's stressing me out. Watching he's stressing it. me out. Yeah, so just you know, I understand the the excitement and the the need to get as much information as possible, but um, there is a healthy dose. Yeah. I can't stop myself. I can't, well, can't and, stop and point, looking. Point, can't look it's away. Like watching, it's like watching a sporting event. You have zero control over the outcome from here on out. So like, like Serena said, really take that with the dose of like really part of that is like kind of the, the mortality of your soul. Like you do not have some kind of like omniscient power over what's happening. So like unplug from it if you need to, as you need to. And um, whatever happens, be it a Democrat or a Republican in the office come this January, uh, the work starts we don't have time to fuck around, really, frankly. Yeah, and hopefully we're, you know, we're starting that work here, you know, at a level that in is just, you know, articulate, <laughs> intelligible um, as a starting point rather than, you know, the core of the earth. Whatever abyss, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Middle Earth. <laughs> Middle Earth, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, any final thoughts uh, before we sign off this evening, this afternoon? Deep yeah. breaths, everybody. Um, and yeah, live long, prosper, Greg. <laughs> There's just, just all yeah. these sci fi references I wanted to do. No. One. Is, that, is that so bad? Um, Lord of the Rings isn't sci fi. I would call it weird. <laughs> that count? You'd call it weird. No, that's that. That's I, this. This made my day, you know. Um, whatever happens, I know that we have our our collective, we have people that are working hard every day, fighting on the front lines to protect and uplift the things that we care about. Um, so, you know, we're, I know that we're going to keep fighting and pushing and um, that's, that's what I'm holding on to. 
I will just say uh, on, be, on behalf of, of the Wildlands Collective on, and the Earth to Humans podcast and Common Land, if I may, Matt um, and Serena, Hannah, Matt and myself, um, thank you so much for listening, watching if you have, best wishes, stay safe, unplug when you need to, as Serena said, and um, keep working, keep moving, doesn't stop tonight no matter what happens.